Thanks for watching our podcast. Here at Spear Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com, where we fulfill our clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show. Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. So excited for our guest today. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Our first question is always, who are you? Wow, that's, uh, and Christopher, thank you for this opportunity, particularly during this time. It's, uh, I'm sure, for many a time of great reflection. So having this opportunity to speak with you, a, a man of faith, to a community of faith, uh, is a privilege to me. And uh, so and who is Sean? Uh, Sean is a father. Uh, he's a husband. Uh, he's a leader of a nonprofit organization, the Little City Foundation. Uh, he's devoted himself to service to others. I coming up on 47 years of, of having done this. Um, and I wake up each day, uh, even to this day, Christopher, with still love in my heart and, and purpose. Um, I try to be the best neighbor, the best community member, uh, the best supporter. And, and I share when I meet with uh, young leaders that the beauty of what we do is that every day I wake up, I can make a difference in someone's life. I don't have to go far. I can do it in my work. I can do it in my family. You don't have to go looking for a place to make a difference. Boom, let's go. I love it, Sean. So good. So good. I'm so excited to be able to connect with you today. Can you tell our audience how you got to the leadership position that you're in today? Well, I, and I, I, I've thought about that. Matter of fact, even last night, uh, you, you do this um, walk down memory lane. And um, Christopher, I was a, a high school athlete, um, you know, played two sports and, and really thought that my future lied uh, or was headed in that direction. And at some level, you know, I often tell people that there are only two things that stood in the way of me being uh, an NBA player. Uh, one was height and the other was talent. And, and uh, uh, but nonetheless, at that time, that's what I thought I'd do as a decent ball player, um, enough to get a D3 uh, opportunity, uh, played for a couple years and, and found that it wasn't me. It's been that way. I, I, I've always without asking, have been viewed as exceptional relative to the people I was around. You know, so whether or not it's in basketball, the coach had me become the team captain. You know, there was a work ethic that he uh, that he observed and just a kind of side story, uh, which can be you know checked factually. Uh, my coach was a guy named Ira Green. Uh, his son was Sean Green, who later played for the Los Angeles Dodgers and I believe Tampa Bay. Um, my 50th birthday, he came to town and he and his wife handed me a baseball that said, thank you for the name, Sean Green. He shared with me that he had named his son after me. So Sean Green, the ball player, is named after Sean Jeffers, uh, the decent athlete. When I asked the coach, why did you do that? He said, you were a guy who didn't have the most talent but you always gave me everything that you had. And so I've carried that, Christopher, and I say this humbly. 
most things that I do, I try to do to the fullest. And when you do it to the fullest, you get observed. So stepping into uh, the juvenile justice field is at the age of 20, I was quickly made a supervisor. It wasn't the intent. So I became a supervisor of some of the very people who I'd worked with at a very young age. And it moved on from there to clinical director to taking some uh, classes in graduate school, meeting a guy who invited me to come into the field of developmental disabilities from juvenile uh, justice. And uh, from there, I managed a, a, a unit of, of, of uh, uh, over 100 people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, from there, I, I was asked to take on a role as a director of a forensic facility in Chester, Illinois, the unfit to stand trial, not guilty by reason of insanity. Was asked after about five years to take on the operation of an entire hospital system, uh, the Schultz Center, both mental health, developmental disability, and even forensics, then became the state director of developmental disabilities here in Illinois. Left that and went into a nonprofit life um, after a number of years. And um, that was uh, my four, first foray into volunteerism and fundraising and the like. And then 18 years ago, um, I took the position here and uh, at, at Little City Foundation, which is kind of the culmination of everything I've done in my life. So what's happened, Christopher, is I never try to assent to a level. It's as if an opera, you know, I shared a, and with some others, I never went looking for a job, that the opportunities seemed to find me. Someone said that, you know, here's something I think you would be good at. And so I've landed and I've trusted, I, again, as a, a man of faith and my wife and I, with everything that we do, we pray on it. I've ended up here by just direction. And it's been one of the most fulfilling experiences for me because I'm near end of career. And you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later is thinking about what is the next thing. Um, and so for me, this move into leadership has been one I, I, I am fascinated and inspired by how do we get the best out of others? Leadership isn't the getting the best out of me, it's how do I bring my best to get the best out of others. And that's where I've, I've gained the greatest joy. And as I look back, I see a number of individuals whose life I touched who are now doing great, wonderful things. And so it's planting the seeds of whatever I have. I, I, I have gotten back more than I have given on a continuous basis. I can't do enough to pay for all that's come back to me in terms of the you know, aspects of my life. And so the leadership has not been something at a high school or I said I was gonna be. It's, it's something that morphed, pulled me in and has gotten the best out of me. And it's, it's the reason why I wake up each day. And as I transition from this role, I know it's still going to be something, and I'm not looking for it necessarily to be leadership, but it will be changing the lives of people by example. And if it elevates me, so be it. But that's not the reason why I do it. Never has been about the title. Well, that's beautiful. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing. And for those that don't know, for Little City Foundation, can you talk to you a little bit about the scope that you lead as CEO, meaning how many employees 
budgetary programming, et cetera, just to people to get a sense of that. We are truly a, a cradle to grave organization. Uh, we serve over 1,100 people, 600 staff, an operating budget of a little over $36 million. Uh, our services range from foster care and adoptive services for special needs infants and youth, um, finding you know, permanent and loving homes for them, to group homes uh, for uh, kids uh, with severe uh, um, uh, stages of autism, uh, to therapeutic day school for many of those students who can't um, um, be placed in the traditional uh, public school system, uh, to uh, adult vocational services, finding employment, teaching employment skills for people with developmental disabilities, uh, adult living arrangements ranging from apartment complex to uh, various group homes spread across um, the Chicago land area. Um, we've got over 200 people in that's that service to a clinic uh, that's providing uh, both physical, dental, and behavioral health services. And now we're moving into, which was not our plan, um, adult senior services at the individuals with developmental disabilities who were not expected, Christopher, in the early stages of their life to live well into adulthood. Uh, you know, the whole notion of geriatric and developmental disabilities was foreign. We now have people, because of, I believe, advances in medicine and also just the quality of care are living very extended lives. The challenge that we face there is that the diseases of aging have sooner onsets on people with disabilities. And the cost, as we know, as we age, the cost for care increases. It doesn't decrease from the medical uh, situations and other challenges. And so we go, again, from the earliest stages of life to all the way to end of life care and the, the services that we provide. Well, thank you for sharing. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't shut down. Pandemics don't shut us down. It doesn't shut down human need. So, yeah, Sean, that's just so impressive of the work that you are doing for this nonprofit and on all of the constituents and the people that you serve. So thank you for that. That's incredible. And I think that, you know, as, as other audience members may be listening to your story, it's sometimes hard to relate. As I told you pre-roll that, that, you know, when I was growing up as a youth, I really struggled to work with people with disabilities. And for whatever reason, I was just like scared and I had fear about in, in, in working with them. So to have, you know, spend the amount of time, I mean, basically your entire career devoting yourself to helping people with developmental disabilities is just wildly impressive. But as, as I look at like normal, not, I guess, sorry, let me rephrase that. As I look to people that maybe are in the private sector that, that haven't spent even closely outside of maybe some like volunteer work, haven't even gotten in close to something like that, it might be hard to relate. So just trying to understand kind of like, as we think about your own leadership journey, Sean, what are some of the vices or character flaws that you had to overcome in order to amass the type of leadership skills that you have today? One of the, and that's a, a very good question. And, and um, Christopher, I want to, you know, put kind of a, an asterisk because oftentimes people kind of applaud me for this just and noble thing that I do. Um, and what I say to my corporate friends, that particularly here in the nonprofit space, we exist because of the success of people like you when you contribute back, when you contribute 
your time, talent, and treasure, whether or not that's volunteerism or writing a check and the rest. And so I, I don't need everyone in this space. And I don't think it was God's plan that everyone stay in one place. And we each have a, 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 a bucket that we need to carry, a role that we need to fulfill. And so I feel privileged to do that. I stumbled into the developmental disability space as I, as I shared. It was a, a friend that encouraged me to, to take a look at a job and, and, and like you, and I come of a, you know, an earlier generation, people with disabilities were not in my network. They weren't in my school. They weren't in my neighborhood because, uh, you know, in the early years of fifties and sixties, if you had a child with disabilities, you were encouraged at one point to one is to let them die, abort them. And the other was the other was send them away. Okay, that this was somehow um, you know a mistake, and and so I didn't have that privilege up until my early adulthood of being around people with disabilities. And the you know the initial reaction was one that shocked me. Okay, it was the first time I walked in a home, as I shared earlier, the home that I I walked into were people who were blind, deaf and had profound mental uh, cognitive impaired. And so they couldn't see me, they couldn't you know, hear me, they couldn't process what I was wanting to do, but yet the people who were working with them did it with such dignity and compassion. But that's what moved me. And from that moment on, I was all in, and I began to learn more about the barriers. I learned more about the impact that it has on families because those are someone's brother, sister, son, uh, they're not mistakes. And so it made me, Christopher, more of that advocate through being present. It wasn't the thing I woke up with. And so that, you know, as we begin to see, because it's not only people with disabilities, you begin to see other clusters where people are treated indifferently. And that's a challenge to all of us. And so when I look at the vices I had to first overcome is to realize, Christopher, this is bigger than me. Okay, this is uh, you know, I'm just a, a small part of that. So I learned to be more humble. Uh, I learned that I don't have all the answers. Uh, I learned that there are people who do things far better. Than me. Um, I learned that that uh, the you know that through um, not only through example because I wanted people to do because I said it, uh, but people do because you do it because you live it. And so it forced me to really take some looks at myself. I was into, at early stages, positional power, authority. None of those things matter at the end of the day. And so over time, I have been humble. And when I've stepped away, when I tried to do it on my own, I've fallen. The good news is people have lifted me up because of there's, you know, I, I, I share with some of the young people I engage with, you got two buckets. One of them is the things you do right, and the other is the thing that you do wrong. People will help you when the bucket of doing right is far more full than the bucket of doing wrong. And so every day, try and make deposits into that bucket. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've had to come up, Christopher, with these ways of managing through. I've been at different organizations. I've been at some startups. When I came here in 2003, we were on the verge of bankruptcy, a large company serving people with disabilities that had lost its way. And I couldn't, I came in on a Monday, we had a payroll due on a Tuesday and only had $250,000 in the bank for a $400,000 payroll. Oh, so that was the first day on the job. Oh. And so that reality, and, and there are some things that happen 
in that regard, Christopher, where I realize there is a higher authority. If you wouldn't mind me just kind of relaying a, a couple things that happened even prior to. I, I made the choice to come to the Chicago area. I wanted to get back uh, you know, with my uh, my parents lived in, in here. My mother had recently passed away and I wanted to spend more time with my dad. And so I began to look in the Chicago area. There were three organizations that I had um, uh, was interested in potentially joining. And one of them was Little City. And then there were two others, one in the heart of uh, the city of Chicago. And I, I actually accepted the verbal offer of the one in Chicago. I thought that's where I was I was going. And I got a call from the HR director here at Little City, uh, very apologetic. And the reason why I, I accepted the others, Little City was slow coming out the gate. They weren't just, you know, I, I didn't have anything in hand. I needed to make a decision, get my family settled. So the HR director said, would you be open to taking a call from our board president? The organization really wants you. And, and you know, they're disappointed that they may have missed that opportunity. So the board chair, who's a friend to this day, gave me a call. Very, you know, he's, he's a man of God. And, and uh, he said, Sean, um, I'm sorry. You know, we, need, we should have got back to you sooner. And so he said, here's our offer. Now, what was unique about the offer? Well, my wife and I sat down to figure out what would it take to move from where we are to the Chicago area, because I was in an area where the cost of living was less. And so looking at some marginal adjustment, and so we actually came up, Christopher, with a number. Not It was an odd number. You know, it was one that wasn't, but you know, when you add up everything, here's the number. The board chair said, here's the offer. It was the number. Now, coincidence? Yeah. Okay. And so I asked him, I said, uh, Alex, where did you get that number from? He said, I got it from you. I said, no, you didn't. We never discussed money. He said, well, I don't. He said, well, maybe I got it from the attorney. So I called the corporate attorney. I said, um, Jack, where did you get that number from? He said, I got it from Alex. I said, no. So this number, you know, that was the first kind of thing that there, there's somehow that the number was symbolic to of a greater hand. And so when I arrived at Little City, and I share with you um, the financial situation, I knew enough from my days in state government that there was a way to access cash, okay, and on an emergency basis. So we, we did that. But we were also, we were short almost $2 million in terms of past due bills and people threatening not to provide a service. We got an unrestricted government grant, okay, um, that came through. And when I tried to do some research on on, you know, thank the benefactor, because one of the things that had happened at that time, the Chicago paper was publishing because there was a, this is Illinois and Chicago, there were some funny things that went on with grants and people getting money. And so we were prepared. I'd actually gone to a PR company because I'm going to have to explain where this $2 million came from, okay? And, and, and so we're, you know, we don't want to be on the front page of the paper. Well, the news came out, it never made the paper. Okay, it didn't show up. And when I went around to call our local politicians to thank them, none of them were caught doing anything to do it. But yet it magically, Christopher, showed up. Again, coincidence. And so my life has been one of these strange things that have happened that are bigger than me. 
and, and you you come to realize I, I've had some moments here from even uh, a significant health scare where um, the our corporate counsel got me in with one of the greatest doctors at Northwest Hospital System. Christopher, it saved my life. And so that's why I say the more I give, the more that comes back in ways that I can never, ever pay back. And so that's where when I, I look at the vices, I've had to overcome the belief that I could do it alone. I had to overcome the belief that that uh, it's about me. It's not about me. It has very little to do with me. And so those are the things that, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm tested every day, even now, because what's happening with this pandemic, and I don't know about what, what your business or the area that, that you're in. There's been a complete disruption of what I thought I knew about running an organization. Um, we are faced with potential layoffs, with place with you know, my donors. I have a donor who lost 65% of his business. It's one of my major people. <clears throat> you know, people who have lost jobs, lost homes. I have people who have, and so the degree of loss, Christopher, that we're feeling, not episodically, but so in a, such a huge way is really disrupted. I have people who left the workforce who don't want to come back right now. They're afraid. And so all of those things that we have to still kind of push as leaders to keep people positive during the time that there's so much uncertainty. And what's happened, you know, even within my board, everyone is afraid of, is this, is this it? Or is there something more? And so we've absorbed, you know, a, a substantial hit to our finances. Um, uh, I'm optimistic we will make it through. I'm thankful that PPP was available uh, to us. Uh, you know, it definitely bought some time, but it, it's challenging me. And what I always have to do as a leader is ask myself, am I the man, the person for this moment? Because leadership is about rising to the moment. And if we don't have within us what it takes to rise to that, so even as we speak, Christopher, I'm asking myself, Sean, are you the man for this moment? There's a place for me. I've got to answer that. And that's where you go into prayer to make sure. I have been, I'm praying until something happens. Um, it is a constant part of, of my life is to assess, am I the man for this moment? in the history of this organization. Well, there's a number of things that I want to follow up on what, <laughs> what you just said. So I'd love to know what that answer is. But then in addition to that, I just think about a couple things. I mean, it just sounds like there's the a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread and feeding, feeding the multitude stories of what you've just communicated of, of seeing how just miracles have taken place in order to take care of God's children that have the greatest need. Uh, the other thing that, that you said about the deposits, that hits so close to home with one of my spiritual fathers, Russ Pratelli, who was, I think, on the second episode that we release, but he, uh, he food rescues uh, a million meals per year for the homeless. And he, he likes to call it uh, the chips that, that when we, <laughs> we, we get these poker chips, that when we do uh, good works, 
that you get these chips and 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 uh, just being able as you kind of mentioned about deposits like he always just makes jokes and references to being able to give those chips in for other people uh, as well and then the the last thing that just came to mind um, just thinking about my own life and what limited experiences that I've had in in doing good works and just recognizing the power of of fasting and uh, maybe just encourage you brother as you go into this transition I know you mentioned that you're praying hard to kind of get that answer about are you called to do this you know take this organization on your back as you move forward um, and I, and I just know that oftentimes like fasting is just like supercharges decisions and the way that God can intercede and, and answer our prayers uh, as well uh, so so yeah so I, I just I bless you with that and, and thank you for sharing what you have so the question that was just kind of like resounding even before you brought this up was, what does that look like for your future? What is what is what are you the most passionate about moving ahead, and and what are you kind of hearing in prayer about about uh, is this going to be you, or are are you kind of already precluding saying that you've been thinking about retirement, or where you're at with that decision, Sean? And Christopher, good timing because I have been thinking about retirement, and and I um uh I've been calling upon a, a number of people to help me uh, in that regard. At a personal level, my wife retired in December of uh, last year, uh, and um, she's actually a little bit younger than I am. And she was uh, our our county's uh, public health director, so the pandemic was something she was living with close and personal. She had put, she had already picked the day that she was going to go out. I, I applaud her for it. She knew it. The circumstance set itself, and she walked away. I'm having a hard time with that because uh, what I have to sort out is there's a difference in who we are and what we do. I have for so long looked at myself for what I do and not who I am. And I think that becomes difficult for nonprofit leaders to separate themselves from who they are and what they do. You know, I am known as in this community and in this organization as the executive director. You know, you're introduced as such. And, and you know, I, I I've been impressed by people in their LinkedIn profiles who no longer talk about their title, but talk about what they do. And so I, right now, Christopher, I'm trying to make that statement about myself. Don't have the identity so tied to this job. And can you shift that identity to more of your purpose? God's purpose for me was not to be an executive director. I mean, that's, you know, God's purpose for me was doing good. So how can I take that? which I do and continue to do it, not with this organization, because there is that moment. I think sometimes people stay too long. Um, mm -hmm. They stay on too long. And I don't want that to be where I am the item on the agenda that's talked about when I'm not present, because no one wants to be able to tell me that your moment is passed. And so that's where, Christopher, I want to be very mindful of, um, Am I bringing value to this organization beyond that that goes past my name? You know, so it, it's it's good to, you know, I, I have some that run across board members sometime who feel that their presence alone brings value to the organization. And that's, that's hubris. I don't want to believe that all I need to do is be present and somehow my presence alone gives this organization what it needs. It needs my hands, it needs my head, it needs my heart. 
And so that's what I, I want to struggle with. My, my hands are weaker. My head is cloggier. My heart is still strong. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, with the passage of time. And it's, um, you know, so is that challenge that particularly now where our entire work world has been disrupted. We have to rethink how we provide the services that we provide in this new era. Um, um, technology has, has taken over in a tremendous way and, and is going to continue to impact upon us. So it's once I can sort out, Christopher, the what I am, when you started with it, I got to look at that inventory and take off executive director. And how do I begin to bring value? My value doesn't come from my title and position and money. There's nothing, you know, when we, when, what I've found in, in my career, when I, when I base who I am on whether or not we were winning or losing, I had ups and downs, but that shouldn't change who I am. It's bad year, good year. Does that make me good person, bad person? No, it doesn't. I'm the same person. And so that's the part now that I'm really coming to grips with who is Sean Jeffers. And he is a man of God who has value that goes beyond what his title is or what kind of car he drives or how big his office is. Those have nothing to do with it. So that's that, that wrestling right now. I want to make sure that I can do whatever it takes for this organization to thrive in this new future. And sometimes that means we got to get out the way. In order for that plant to grow, you may be standing on it. And so that's that, that question I'm asking myself. And, and I'm looking at potential mergers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that. I'm having that discussion with my board on can we become stronger and address the potential of my exit leadership by coming together with an equal that brings something to the table to make the organization more sustainable. I recognize, Christopher, this is bigger than me. The last thing that I want is this organization to suffer by my exit and not, I will gain no joy to say, gosh, I was missed. My objective will be that they don't miss me because they're so aggressive in pursuit of their excellence that I was just a part of that and I wasn't the end of it. So I, I agree that there's going to take that. Unfortunately, what the pandemic has done, I've not stepped away. I've not, I've not missed a day Christopher, since it was first announced. And that doesn't give you time to really go into the level of solitude and prayer to make those prayerful decisions. So I know God is calling on me to step back for a moment, look at this in a different light, not look at it where I'm looking at my phone and I'm looking at my email and I'm, you know, racing to get things, things done. The answer will come to me. It's been my experience with God that he doesn't speak in a loud voice. It speaks in, in softness and silence. And so I, I'm longing for that moment. I've already talked to my wife about just getting away for a little bit. I'm, I think we're getting a point, even with the organization, that there's going to be that window for me to go out and think this through and then hopefully come back renewed and reinvigorated and refocused. Well, that's... That takes a lot of courage to be able to communicate that. And I will definitely make a commitment to you to be praying for you in this transition phase as well. And uh, um, 
Yeah, just would love for you, Sean, to be able to pray for our audience as well, to be able to impart the gifts that you've been given in this leadership journey that others that uh, are listening to this episode today may be uh, blessed by your own walk as well. I think one of the, the things that we, we come to know, um, you have to be honest with yourself. And, and that's the part it's tough because we oftentimes want to be what others think we should be and, and not ourselves. Um, and I, I, here with you at the early point, even as I begin to talk about retirement, I have people in my network who excitedly say, good, because I know you're going to do something greater. Good. You're going to do something greater. And the pursuit of something greater robs the beauty of what you do now. And so I'm not going at this for, you know, the potentially transition to something greater. I want to do something where each day I feel, as I said earlier, I'm bringing value. As long as I have this suit, not the, I'm talking about my earth suit, uh, I want to put myself to the highest and best use in God's eyes. And, you know, I, I, I know that that's not going to be um, five, six hours a day on a golf course um, and, and, you know, whining and dining. I mean, those are wonderful things if that's what you do. But Christopher, that's not my DNA. Uh, my, my father, who was my best friend, and may he rest in peace, he died at the age of 90. He worked until he was 88 in some capacity. Wow. He always told me that what was the key to his life is waking up each day with a purpose. He said he never wanted to not have that. And, and um, you know, some say that, uh, uh, you know, he left to be with God. And I say, no, God took him. <laughs> he sure wanted to stay. <laughs> So God said enough. And, and, uh, but that was, that's been an inspiration to me, uh, Christopher, to wake up each day with purpose. And that purpose for me comes through service to others. And, and I always want to be until the moment that I can of service to someone. I gave someone kind of this, this analogy of, and because uh, I've done a lot of reflecting on my life. And the, the analogy that I gave is, is you, you know, you're a school crossing guard. And, and your school crossing guard, what is your goal, your objective, is to get people across the street safely. Okay, that very simple. You know, they come, you get them across. Christopher, I don't see it that way because if you were the child who came to my corner, I would see you. And if I saw that Christopher had no shoes or I saw that Christopher had a bruise on his body, that would stop me. And I would ask Christopher about that. That's not my job. So my job would always be of service. My wife kind of joked, if I became the greeter at the local Costco, they'd fire me because I would be talking to people about, (laughs) how are you today? Not feeling too well. Well, why not? And, and so that is the, you know, my blessing and my curse is I have such a deep affinity for what happens to people that it sometimes stops me from the pursuit of gold. And my board wrestles with that, that darn it, Sean, you're always into something else. You're too open to people coming in. But that's my blessing and my curse. And so as long as I can be of service to others, I will feel that I had a life worth living. And that's what my dad taught. My dad was always of service to others, always. Uh, He knew people in my neighborhood I didn't know. 
because he walked around and, and next thing I know, I mean, oh yeah, I met your father, you know, and he told me this, told me that. He was such an inspiration to me in terms of how I want to live out my life. That That's helped me. So I, I, I do hope that the people who are listening have those, those anchors, those things that they're aspiring to that don't measure their worth in dollars, but measures their worth and impact to others. We do that. The world's a beautiful place, but we insulate ourselves to only the nuts and the berries that we can gather and hold for ourselves. It's not, Christopher, the life that I want to live, not the life I encourage others to have. Well, a lot there to unpack, and uh, I think it's the, there's a ton of just nuggets of wisdom there. So thank you so much, Sean, for, for dropping that on, on me and the audience as well. So that's so exciting. And I, I know that even I am guilty of just so many times just, you know, measuring up by my title, what I'm doing, etc. And there is, and you're right, that it creates such a roller coaster of emotion of, all right, well, if I had a good day in business, well, then I'm on top of the world. But then if I have a bad day, then I'm not on that. And so you have to be super careful about that. Right, right. So No longer showing favor on me. And, and uh, uh, I had a, an experience once. My mom died of, of, of lung cancer. And I remember I had fallen. You know, I, I tell people that I, I tried life with God and I tried life without God. And I know the difference. Uh, and so when my mom was, was dying, um, it brought me closer to God. And, and uh, you know, and sometimes I think we, we make a mistake of, of believing that the more we do, the more we fall into his grace and, and favor. I got to a point that, you know, uh, when praying for my mom and embracing her, that her tumor shrunk from the size of, a, of an apple to the size of a nut. And you could not have told me, Christopher, that I was not able to put my hand on people and heal them. You know, I just believe that. My hubris took me to a place to believe that it was somehow about me. Shortly after that, it shot back up. And so I'm looking at myself. What did I do wrong? I was on this track of doing all these good things and saying all these things. And, and, and it was working for my mom. But now it's back. And for that moment, I'm blaming myself. As if somehow, somehow I worship a God that punishes and that something I did, he punished me. And, it, and it, it brought me to that deeper understanding. What I learned from that time with my mother, it brought me back to God. Okay, And, and it didn't mean that all of a sudden by coming back that I somehow was given this unique gift that he will only give to me if I, if I stay you know, steadfast and perfect in, 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 in his eyes, which I can't. And so that's where, you know, as I, as I, I reflect back, those, those falls, I have come to understand my falls and my successes are really the same thing. But those falls taught me something. I actually learned more from my falls than I did my successes. And so having gone through that with my mom has given me a healthier view of the power of God. And it's not about the removal of anything uh, bad that happens. It's my ability to recover from it and recover from it in a way that I don't place blame on others, that I own my part of that. And my part of that was not God's mistake. 
game, you know, the bad, the things that happen to me, people related, I can see how I contributed to that outcome. Either I was not loving enough, I was not supportive enough, I wasn't there's something that changes. And even as you and I interface, if this goes bad, we can both contribute to that outcome. You can look at, well, maybe I should have asked Sean this, or maybe, and I'm going to look at, I wish I had said this to Crystal. We're always doing that in pursuit of getting it right. So I, I have learned to be accepting of the fact, <coughs> excuse me, the fact that I'm not perfect. I don't shoot for perfection anymore, Chris. I did. When you were talking about vices, that was one of my vices. My wife would say, you try to be perfect. I'm imperfect. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable with that. Because what I will own up to my imperfection. I won't hide it from. You know, so when you're, you're at that point in your life where you're not afraid of what you're not, uh, you don't hide what you're not, it's been pretty liberating. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I would, it just comes to mind to think about this Lent for me has been, I always, one of the things that I've done kind of as a reoccurring uh, thing has been a consecration to the mother of God, Mary. Uh, and, and there's a book, 33 days to, to morning glory. And one of the, and each time that I do it, it's like, I just have so much more greater perspective on some of the lessons that the saints that did that, like mother Teresa, et cetera, that, you know, teach on that. And, and this time round, the biggest perspective has been the content says when when Mary received the annunciation from the angel to announce that she was going to be as a virgin pregnant with with Jesus she pondered these things deep in her heart and then in the same way when Simeon and Anna two prophets came to to Mary and Joseph and prophesied that she would her son would be the rise and fall of many and that her heart would be pierced by a sword it didn't say that Mary suffered. It said that she contemplated these things deep in her heart. And that has been, as just, as you say this, like that has been in essence, the lesson for me in this season, which is like, you know, when you're suffering, don't sit there and complain about it, sit there and take it to prayer and contemplate the long-term consequences. Like ask God what for, because you're going to be able to get a greater perspective on the season that you're presently in versus just God, why, why me? Why is this happening? Et cetera. And when you recognize that all things happen for good, that in essence, then you're like, all right, well, I'm just too deep to it right now. I can't see the greater impact. And I think that's, you know, what I'm taking away from this. So thank you for that confirmation. And and it's beautifully said by you, Sean, as well. So Sean, how can people get a hold of the work that you're doing uh, for for those that are in great need of our society, uh, my uh, as I mentioned, I'm, um, we're Little City Foundation. Uh, we're located right outside of uh, Chicago. Uh, our um, uh, web address is www.littlecity all one word dot org. Uh, okay. You go on. There's a tremendous amount of information of the range of, of services that we provide the opportunities for business and, and others to engage, uh, the opportunities for people who are in need of support and services, whether or not you need it personally or you know of, of someone in your network. Uh, my email address, um, you got two options there. One is sjeffers, S-J-E-F-F-E-R-S, at littlecity.org. And if it's non-business related, you want to you know, become a, 
uh, offer some prayer and guidance, my uh, personal email address is sejeffers at comcast.net. Um, so feel free to you know shoot me a note and and I'm uh, on 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 LinkedIn and I'm on Facebook and um, you know there are a couple other places I'm not, but um, so to <laughs> uh, you know someone wants to engage, I, I definitely look for it. Christopher, I, I've been so blessed by um, a person just gave me a, a book a couple of days ago, and that's where I say there's no coincidence with God, and it's actually called When When in the Dark. Okay, and uh, the author is uh, Joshua Metcalf and Lucas Jaden, and and one of the this gentleman gave it to me because he understands what I'm I'm wrestling with, and it began to talk to my heart around the decision that I, I need to make and 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 how, and it was one that kind of emphasized that we are not what we do, and I needed to hear that because I'm walking away from. Uh, a job that has just brought me so much fulfillment, so much recognition, so much, so connected to, you know, and people dread the day. They tell me, gosh, Sean, when you go, it, you know, this is no longer going to happen for this organization. And you get caught up into that. This isn't about, me. you know, God didn't put me in this to be this, you know, to be greater than him. It's, it's, that's not the case. And so in reading that, I came to Better understanding. I, another person that contacted me um, about, uh, you know, she was aware that I was. Here's some ways you can think about future, and she sent me this poem that also began to, to see. So I think once we open our hearts to that decision, God answers in a number of different ways. And so already I'm getting this unsolicited stuff from people that are helping make that decision. And, and Christopher, as I look back on my life, he's always done it. There's always been, whether or not it's a sermon that I heard or a neighbor who happened to say, I thought about you last night. Um, God always has messaged to me in ways that have given greater light to what I'm thinking about when I open myself to it. So I look forward to this season of contemplation. I'm excited about it because I know what I come out with. He's never failed me to this point, Christian. Never. Um, you know, so why would he do it now? No. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Sean. I'm really looking forward to seeing the way that this episode blesses our audience and those that are listening to be able to hear the wisdom that you've gained from your career. And uh, just thank you again for being a part of our journey at the Leading Virtuously podcast. And so excited to be able to support the work that you're doing. And we will definitely make sure to put all of your uh, links into the show notes too, so that people can easily get behind uh, your organization and connect with you accordingly as well. Great. Well, Christopher, thank you for this opportunity. It's been very cathartic for me and uh, most appreciated. Excellent. Well, thank you. And look forward to continuing the dialogue with you too, Sean. God bless. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. The Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.